You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. It's said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And that is certainly the case. And that is certainly the case, spiritually speaking. The Bible tells us that we are to be imitators. And this morning we're going to see that the Bible tells us we ought to be imitators of God. And what we need to be reminded of this morning is this. If imitation is the sincerest form of flattery... One of the ways that we show our love and affection for our great God is by practicing imitation. So keeping that in mind, I want you to look with me in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. After a break where we talked about our vision as a church, we are back in our study of the book of Ephesians. And we're starting back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Buckle up. We got some good stuff coming up in the book of Ephesians. We're going to talk about what it means to live as children of light and redeem our time and live the spirit filled life. And we're talking about marriage and parenting and spiritual warfare and lots of things coming up as we finish our study in the book of Ephesians. So, keeping that in mind, I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able, to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And just a reminder, God's Word is truth with no mixture of error, living and active and sharper than any two-edged swords. Look there with me. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Therefore, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we count it a great joy and privilege to to gather yet again as a faith family on the Lord's Day. Lord, to sing praises to you and to listen to you as you speak to us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that as we study your word, you would by your spirit Open the eyes of our hearts that we would see the truths of Scripture and be transformed by them. Have your way in our midst. Have your way in our lives. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we lift this prayer up to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
Now, it's been a while since we've been in the book of Ephesians, so just to reorient you, I've given you the overarching theme of this book, and the theme is very simple yet very profound. It is this. We experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. That's what the book of Ephesians is about. In the book of Ephesians breaks down into two sections, basically, from a kind of a big picture perspective. J. Sidlow Baxter writes that chapters 1 through 3 detail our wealth in Christ, all of the spiritual blessings that are ours when we know Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Then, Baxter says, chapters 4 through 6 are about our walk with Christ, how we ought to live in light of all that God has done for us. So we find ourselves in that section of Ephesians, the section that deals with our walk with Christ. And notice this chapter begins with the word, therefore. Now I've taught you, when you see the word therefore, you ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? When he says therefore, he's referring back to what he has previously said. He's referring back to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul basically reminds us that now that we are Christians, we ought to live like it. We ought to put off the old self and put on the new self. And that has so many implications in so many different areas in our lives. So in light of the fact that we are new creations in Christ, therefore, we ought to live in a certain way. And and after he says therefore, he gives us a couple of commands as to how we ought to live as new creations in Christ. And I'm just going to warn you on the front end. These commands are breathtaking in their scope. It's incredible what we're about to be commanded to do as followers of Jesus. Now we know these are commands because there in verse 1 he says, Therefore be... Imitators of God. Notice that word be. That that word be is a present imperative. The imperative means it's a command. And the present tense means this is to be a continual reality in our lives. And then I want you to look in verse 2 where uh, Paul writes, walk in love. Notice that word walk. It's a present imperative. It's a command and it's present tense which indicates this is to be a continual reality in our life. So what are these two commands, be and walk, what are these, these two commands all about? Well, number one, you can look there in your notes. We are commanded to imitate the character of our Father. We are commanded to imitate the character of our Father. Look there in verse 1. Therefore be, there's the command, be imitators of God. Now that word imitators comes from the Greek word uh, mimeo. It's where we get the word mimeograph from. So the, the command here is to be a, 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 an imitation, a, 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 a copy of, of someone in this verse. And he tells us there we are to imitate, be copies of, uh, reflect God. No big deal, right? Just imitate God. That's pretty easy. Imitate God. That's what he says. Be imitators of 
God. Now in other passages in the Bible, Paul imitates the, the hearers that he's writing to to imitate himself. He says over in 1 Corinthians 11, for example, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul's saying, you can look at my life and learn how to walk with Jesus. Imitate me. Sometimes he writes to churches like the church in Thessalonica and he urges them to imitate other churches that are faithfully serving the Lord. So imitate me, imitate other godly churches. But here in chapter 5 of Ephesians, Paul ups the ante. He's not talking about imitating his life or imitating other faithful churches. Paul commands us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to imitate God himself. Think about that. Breathtaking in its scope. Be imitators of God. Now here's the question. How can we imitate him of whom we cannot even fully fathom. Man, how do we even begin to live out this command? How do we even begin to practice imitating God? Well, Paul gives us a very helpful word picture so that we understand a little bit about what imitating God is all about. Look what he says there in verse 1. Therefore be imitators of God. Now look at this next phrase. As beloved children. Imitate God as beloved children. In other words, we are to imitate God our Father in in a way that, that young children try to imitate their earthly father. It's a word picture that helps us to understand what this means. We are told to imitate God on the basis of our relationship with Him. Notice what he says there. You are beloved children. He is your Father. So imitate God your Father. Now this relationship that we have in Christ implies several things. First of all, a relationship implies security. Notice what he says there. Imitate God as Beloved children. You are loved by God. You are secure in your relationship with Him. In Christ you are adopted by God and your adoption cannot be rescinded. You are forever a child of God, your Father. So in context of that security, in the context of that relationship, seek to imitate Him. My kids, particularly when they were little would try to imitate me in some way, shape, or form. And, and my kids never tried to please me or imitate me to become my children. They were already my children, right? They weren't trying to earn some status. They were my children. And on the basis of that relationship, they were trying to please me or imitate me uh, or bring a smile to my face. And that's what Paul's saying here. He wants us to be careful to understand. Don't think by your conduct you can earn God's favor. I I remind you of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So he's reminding us here, I'm I'm not saying imitate God and, and, and improve your life 
so that God will like you or God will love you or God will show you favor. He's saying you have the favor of God. In Christ you are a child of God. You're adopted. He's your father. You're secure. So now, as a child of God, seek to bring a smile to his face. There's security in our relationship with God. A relationship implies security. Secondly, a relationship implies a growing knowledge of someone. A growing knowledge of someone. He says there, be imitators of God as beloved children. So again, this relationship implies that we are growing in our knowledge of God as our Father. As we experience being adopted by the King, as we experience walking with Him and talking with Him and His, His unceasing presence and activity in our lives, as we experience that, we get to know Him better. And as we get to know Him better, we know what imitation looks like or ought to look like for our lives. Or let me say it like this. To imitate God, you've got to know God. Right? You've got to know what He's like. You've got to know His character and His nature and His attributes and His works. That's why theology, what we believe about God, is so vastly important. If we're going to faithfully imitate God, be be uh, reasonable facsimiles or mimeographs of God. We've got to know what God is like. Now let me share with you just a quick thought about the attributes of God. Theologians classify the attributes of God under two different headings. One heading is called the incommunicable attributes of God. You say, well, what's, what's that mean? That, speaks, uh, that phrase speaks of the attributes of God that we cannot mimic. Because it's what makes God, God. For example, God is omnipresent and we are not. Right? God is everywhere all the time. He's omnipresent. And so right here in this room as we worship Him, He is meeting here with us. And there's, there are other congregations all over the world that are meeting on Sunday morning and God is with them too. Why? He's omnipresent. Now, I've got four kids, and I feel my limitations greatly because I've learned that if I have activities with my kids going on in two different places, I'm going to miss one of the kids' activities. I can't be two places at once. I, I feel my limitations there. I'm not omnipresent. So when he says imitate God, he's saying don't, don't, you're not trying to imitate his omnipresence. You can't do that. You're a finite creature. Or how about the omnipotence of God? His power. God has all power. He possesses all power inherently. He is a God of, of power and strength and might. None can stay his hand. He's not saying, hey, try to be more powerful like God. We can't, we can't even begin to, to grasp what omnipotence is all about. He's not saying try to be omnipotent. That's an incommunicable attribute, right? Or omniscience, all-knowing. God knows everything. He is perfectly wise. He knows the beginning from the end. He, he is God, and he's not saying try to be omniscient. You and I can't be omniscient. We are so limited in, in what we can even know in the here and now. God's eternal. He has no beginning. We do, don't we? We've been born. We have a beginning. 
So he's not saying try to be eternal. You can't be eternal because you have a beginning. Those are the incommunicable attributes of God. That's not what he's talking about in this verse. And we know that, you know, intuitively. What he's talking about in this verse is he's talking about what theologians call the communicable attributes of God. These are the parts of God that we can begin to live out with his help and by his direction. For example, we can grow in patience. God is a God of forbearance and we can grow in our patience. God is a God of mercy. We can become more merciful. God is a God of grace. We can become more gracious. God is a God of faithfulness. We can be more faithful. God is a God of holiness. We can grow in our, our, our holiness, our relationship with the Lord. In fact, it says in 1 Peter, we ought to be holy because He is holy. God is kind. We ought to grow in our kindness. God is good. We should grow in our goodness. God uh, is, 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 is wisdom. We should grow in our, our, our application and actions when it comes to Wisdom, And so he's speaking here of the, in, of the communicable attributes of God. You know what communicable means? You know all about communicable diseases, right? Like COVID-19, something that can be spread. That's communicable. These attributes of God are attributes that, that can spread to us by his help, by his guidance. And so he's saying those attributes that you see in God are attributes that you are commanded to practice continually. A relationship implies a growing knowledge of God. Hey, listen to me. This is important. I say this a lot. That means this obedience to this command, Ephesians 5.1, will not happen apart from a consistent intake of the Word of God. Because how can you imitate the one you do not know? And how can you know him better if you're not in his word? A relationship implies a growing knowledge of God. And then third, a relationship implies that we will be helped. That we will be helped. Here's the amazing thing. And it says it in Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. The Bible says... When we place our faith in Christ, listen to me, this is extraordinary, it's going to blow your mind, you ready? It's a reminder, but it'll blow your mind. When we were saved, when we were redeemed, when we were born again, the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, came to take up residence in our lives. Listen, God lives in you. If you're a believer, God lives in you. So God doesn't say, hey, imitate me, good luck. We're commanded to imitate God and then God comes to live on the inside to help us. To change us from the inside out. A relationship implies that we will be helped. James Montgomery Boyce writes this, The children of God have this going for them. They have the enabling life of God within through the indwelling Holy Spirit. So Paul says, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a new creation in Christ? What should that look like? What should our focus, our aim, our goal be? Imitate God. Imitate God as dearly beloved children 
See, a lot of people have the wrong concept of God and the wrong view of God. A lot of people view God as a strict lawgiver. And they picture him as sort of a, a schoolmaster, a cruel schoolmaster. And the schoolmaster writes all of these commandments up on the board. And he's got a ruler in his hand. And we're looking at those commandments and learning what those commandments are. And if we mess up, if we blow it, he's going to come and wrap us on the hand with the ruler. He's going to get us back in line. And that's a lot of the, the, the ways that people conceive of God. He's a, he's, a, he's a cruel schoolmaster that's all about keeping the rules. Now, certainly God gives us commandments. We're talking about one this morning. Certainly God has expectations for our lives. Our, his commandments are what's best for us. But remember that God is not just this cruel schoolmaster waiting for you to blow it. He's a loving, heavenly Father that guides you and helps you to begin to live out His commandments for your life. So here's, a, to me, a better, a better picture, a better mental picture of God than a, than a schoolmaster with a, a ruler in His hand. I like to think about growing up as a little guy following my dad around the yard. And he'd be mowing. I'd have my little plastic mower out there, you know. Not doing much good, but I was trying to mow like he mowed, you know. I remember uh, there were times uh, he would uh, burn off the yard. We lived out in the country. He'd burn off the grass in the yard at certain times of year so it'd grow back better, you know. And, and I'd run around behind him with a... With a plastic fire hat on and carrying a hose and I was helping him, you know, keep the fire under control. Was I helping? No. Was I imitating? Yes. Did I need help? Absolutely. And, and, and to me, that's the picture here. There are commandments in Scripture. We are, we, are, we are called to obey them. And there are consequences for disobedience. And there are blessings for obedience. But remember, as you seek to obey God and live out these commandments, remember He's your Father. He loves you. He'll model it for you. He'll help you. He'll pick you up when you fall. He'll dust you off. And your obedience won't affect, or lack of obedience, won't affect His love for you. His love for you is perfect. So in the security of that relationship, learn, spiritually speaking, to follow your father around. To learn about him. To learn who he is and what he's like. So you can begin to imitate him as your heavenly father. Commandment number one, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. Commandment number two, very quickly, imitate the love of our Savior. Imitate the character of our Father. Imitate the love of our Savior. Look in verse 2. And walk, that's a command, again, it's a, it's a present imperative. Walk in love. Now, the metaphor of walking is used often throughout Ephesians, and it just speaks of our manner of life. Our manner of life. So he's saying, our manner of life should be love. Walk in love as Christ loved us. 
and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We are called here to imitate the love of our Savior. And we imitate Christ by walking in love. That's what we do. We imitate Christ by walking in love. The great English preacher D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about this verse. This is the ultimate test of our Christian profession. All our professions and claims and activities must be measured by the, this yardstick of love. In other words, you claim to be a Christian. You claim to follow Christ. You claim to be redeemed and born again. Is there a growing love in your life? Because if we are true followers of Christ, love will will grow up on the inside and overflow into others. If you're going to walk in love, you got to know what love is. And the best way to know what love is, is to look to Christ. That's the point that he's making here. He says, and walk in love. And look at the example he gives. As, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So he's saying here, Jesus is the, 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 the perfect example of what love is. So if you want to walk in love, love like Jesus. So here's the question. How did Jesus love? What is the love of Christ like? Well, let me give you three quick answers and we'll be through. Number one, the love of Christ is unconditional. He says there, walk in love as Christ loved us. Who's the us? That's me and you. You know what the Bible says about me and you? The Bible says that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The Bible says we are enemies of God because of our rebellion against Him. And Romans 5.8 says that, that God demonstrates His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Christ didn't die for us because we're good or worthy or deserving. He died for us even though we are not good and we are unworthy and undeserving. We bring nothing to the table except our sin and rebellion. And yet, God loves us. Jesus died for us. That is unconditional love. Let me make this statement. And it's a breathtaking statement. It's a shocking statement, but it's a true statement. Based upon Romans 5.8. Based upon passages like we're studying this morning. Christ loved us. He died for us. There is nothing you can do. Listen to me. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than He already does. He loves you perfectly. It's un conditional love and he proved it when he went to the cross and died for our sins amen and there's nothing you can do to make God love you any less than he does his love for you is perfect it's unconditional but it must be received by faith but the point here is this walk in love as Christ loved us in other words, Christ's love for us is unconditional. Therefore, our love for others should be unconditional. Uh-oh. This is where it gets tough. 
It's easy to love somebody that loves you back, right? I mean, that's pretty simple. But what about when someone rubs you the wrong way or someone offends you or, or someone's abrasive or just whatever the case may be? There's real conflict, real relational difficulty. Can you love in the midst of that? Can you love unconditionally? And the answer is no, you can't, apart from his help. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why we abide in Christ. But with Christ's help, if, if we let him have his way in our lives, then we can begin to reflect the unconditional love of Christ to those around us, even those that don't deserve it. And you say, Pastor Wade, you're asking me to love someone that is very undeserving. That's what the cross is all about. That God loves you and God loves me, though we are undeserving. The love of Christ is unconditional. Secondly, the love of Christ is sacrificial. Walk in love as Christ loved us. And here's the next phrase. And gave himself up for us. The, the supreme demonstration of the love of God is the fact that Jesus Christ took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary and as the God-man having lived a perfect, spotless, blameless life he went to the cross and became sin. He took all of your sin and guilt and shame and all of my sin and guilt and shame upon himself And the Bible says that he took the wrath of God for us. The punishment that we deserve. I read it this morning in my time alone with God. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. But the Lord has laid upon him, upon Christ, the iniquity of us all. Christ took our sin, and Christ took the punishment that we deserve. That's what was happening when he was hanging on that cross from 9 in the morning to 3 in the afternoon on that good Friday. His love was sacrificial. And notice that phrase, he gave himself for us. For us. That for us speaks of him dying in our place or for our Benefit. And and notice the the word pictures here. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. An offering goes back to the the Old Testament sacrificial system. People would bring grain offerings in uh, from from the field and, and offer a part of their harvest as first fruits to God to recognize that that God had blessed them and provided for them. And then he mentions there not only Offerings, he mentions sacrifice. In the Old Testament sacrificial system, people would, would bring animals. And the animals would be killed. Their blood would be shed and sprinkled on the altar and sprinkled on the mercy seat as a reminder that we are sinners and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And all of those Old Testament sacrifices, all of the slain animals, all of the blood that was taken pointed to the ultimate sacrifice, who is Jesus, who shed his blood on the cross... So that we might be forgiven. 
in Paul saying Jesus in his death on the cross is a fulfillment of all, all those offerings, all of those sacrifices. The entire sacrificial system pointed to Jesus. and He fulfilled it by giving his life as the sacrifice. He died in our place. And so here's the question. Jesus' love is unconditional. Is your love for others unconditional? Jesus' love is sacrificial. Is your love for others sacrificial? In other words, to love others sometimes is going to cost you something. Can I get an amen? It's going to be hard. It's going to cost you something in your life. It it may even hurt a little bit to love someone else. But that's how Jesus loved. He gave his life. Sacrificial love. Is there someone in your life right now that God wants to love through you? And for you to love that someone, it's going to mean that you sacrifice your own desires, your own attitudes, lay them down. Your own personality, you lay those things down so you can love someone else. The love of Christ is unconditional, it's sacrificial, and and then last, it's pleasing to God. Notice what he says there back in verse 2. This is so good. Wish I had more time. But he says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Look at this next phrase. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So when they would bring the the grain offerings in to the the tabernacle or to the the temple, they would bring the the animal offerings in. They They would burn those offerings on the, 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 the altar, and the burning of those offerings would, would give a fragrant aroma. And the fragrant aroma signified that God was pleased by that offering, that God accepted that offering. So when it says that Jesus is our offering and our sacrifice, and his offering and sacrifice is fragrant, it's saying that God was pleased with the sacrifice of his son. He accepted the sacrifice of his son on our behalf so we could be saved. The death of Jesus, the love of Christ, pleased his father. And if we're going to walk in love, we want to love in such a way that God is pleased with our lives. The love of Jesus, listen, should fill up our hearts And then overflow into other people's lives. And when the love of God is overflowing from us to others, our lives become a fragrant aroma to God. Hey, question. Look at me real quick. Question. Do you want to please God? Walk in love. Walk in love. I read a story about Corey Ten Boom. She was from Holland and she and her family helped to hide Jews from the Nazis as the Nazis rose to power and began to carry out the Holocaust. And they were caught for hiding Jews. And so Corey Ten Boom and her family were taken to a concentration camp in Ravensbrook. 
And they experienced much suffering there. She lost her sister Betsy in that concentration camp. She lost her father in that concentration camp. She was freed and eventually she made her way back to Munich, Germany. By this time she had become a well-known speaker speaking of her experience there uh, in the concentration camp speaking of God's help and God's provision and God's providence and God's love uh, for her and her family and, and, and she became well known and she was speaking at a church in Munich and she was talking about the love of God and she was talking about forgiveness and she said in the story, she said it was, a, it, was very, it was very mechanical. I was just doing my things, you know, speaking words I'd spoken many times before. And she said, I, I was through with, uh, through with the talk about the love and forgiveness of God. And she said, I was standing down at the front of the uh, church, and she said, a man began to make his way toward me. And Corrie Boom said, as he got closer, I recognized him. He was one of the guards in the concentration camp. And she said as he got closer and closer, the degradation, the cruelty that she had seen and experienced from the hands of that man began to fill up her heart and her mind. She was repulsed as this this concentration camp prison guard made his way to her. And he made it to Corrington Boom, and he said, I heard you speak of Ravensbrook. He said, I served there. He, he didn't recognize her. She recognized him. He said, I served there, and I did some terrible things. But I have found Jesus, and God has forgiven me. And then he said these words. Fraulein, will you forgive me too? And she was frozen. She didn't know what to say. She did not want to forgive. She did not want to love. And she knew at that moment she needed God's help. And she said she she lifted up her, she forced her hand up because he he held his hand to shake her hand. And she, she forced her hand up and she took the hand of this prison guard. She said when that happened, she said it was like a, almost like an electrical current starting from her shoulder, extending through her arm into the, into the handshake. And she said it was the love of God. It was the power of the love of God. And I said, I forgive you. And tears filled her eyes. And she said, I loved him so much at that moment. Corey Tim Boom said about that moment, I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Why? Her love for that prison guard was unconditional. It was sacrificial. It cost her something to forgive him. And oh, how it pleased God. She was simply but poignantly Reflecting the love of Christ. And that's what Ephesians 5 calls us to. Imitate God your Father and walk in love just as Christ loved 
us. If you're listening to this message, you say, Pastor Wade, impossible. You're getting it. You're getting the message. Impossible. But for the grace of God. But for God's help in us and for us. Impossible. But when you begin to follow after your father in his footsteps and imitate his character, and you begin to love like Jesus, you can't imagine the joy and you can't imagine the impact your life will have in this world. Think about that. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's Word. May the Lord richly bless you.